So I'll just review the last couple of lessons. Uh, we, we have been looking in chapter 3, the last uh, couple of times we've been in Hebrews. And uh, when we started uh, chapter 3 and verse 1, we saw that we're holy brethren. Uh, holy means that we are saints, that we're set apart for God. And that speaks of our positional sanctification before God. Okay, it's not talking about how good we are, our morality, and so forth. It's talking about our positional sanctification before God. In the eyes of God, all believers are saints, regardless of how we choose to live our lives. And so we are called to be saints, uh, to behave in a manner that befits our inner state. Collectively, we are holy brethren. And the author to the Hebrews identifies uh, not only the saints, but he identifies with them as well. We are all set apart as believers, holy to God, and we are all brethren. That's what it says there in chapter 3, verse 1. We're holy brethren. Uh, We are brothers to each other and to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as such, there ought to be a unity and a bond to each other and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, further, the author of Hebrews identifies us as partakers of the heavenly calling. The word partakers means to be a partner, closely linked to one another. So we're partners with each other uh, as well as, as holy brethren. And, uh, and we're, we're linked by this common goal. Our heavenly calling what it says. Uh, We are not called to be of this world, so our calling is not an earthly one, it's a heavenly one. And so the author reminds us of that. Our vocation is a spiritual one. It underlies everything that we do and how we think. Now when we forget this, uh, we get distracted by the world around us, and the world's thinking will pervade our mind as well. So to counteract that, the author is uh, reminding his readers of that. And so the, the remedy to this, to, the, the remedy to forgetting who we are, what our calling is, uh, we see in chapter 3, verse 1, is that we are commanded, to command there, to consider Christ. This means to intensely exercise our mind on the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what the word consider means. It doesn't mean, you know, just to take a, a quick look and, you know, make that choice. No, it, it means to intensely exercise our mind upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And how many of us can honestly say that we do this on a regular basis? Yet this command is so important if we are to live our life consistently with our heavenly calling. That's a quick review of uh, the last uh, couple of lessons. We uh, we also had a quick look at uh, Jesus as our high priest um, and some similarities between the Old Testament priesthood and the priestly ministry of Christ, how he intercedes for us, how he sacrificed himself for us and how he helps us as well. And so we'll move along to the first point is Jesus as the Apostle. We see in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1 that Jesus is also called an apostle. So he's called a, a high priest, which we've looked at. And I kind of skipped over the apostle bit for a reason. Hopefully we'll see that today. Uh, 
But he's also called an apostle. Um, It's actually the only time in the New Testament that I'm aware of anyway uh, that this title is applied to the Lord Jesus. The word apostle simply means one who is sent like an ambassador or representative. And uh, it it does tie in with his high priestly ministry. uh, As the role of the priest, and we saw this last time, the role of the priest is to represent the people to God Okay, so that's his high priestly ministry, he's representing us to God. And the role of the apostle is to represent God to the people. So it kind of goes full circle here as well. Jesus is the complete fulfillment of both of these offices. He's the great high priest and he's the apostle of our profession. Uh, That word profession there means what we confess, what we confess to be true, how we believe the gospel. So he's the arch-apostle. He was sent to save both Jew and Gentile. He received the Holy Spirit. And he proved his apostleship by the mighty miracles that he performed. As I said, that word apostle in noun form is only applied to Christ here in Hebrews. But throughout the New Testament, we see the verb form of this same word uh, applied to the Lord Jesus. And, And it's usually translated as sent. In John's Gospel, chapter 17 and verse 3, we read, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's that word, that that verb form of the word apostle, okay, applied to the Lord Jesus. Uh, We also see this when Jesus is praying to God the Father for his disciples. Um, You know, he he defines... um, Oh, sorry, in in John's Gospel 17, he's praying to God for his disciples and defines eternal life as knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom the Father has sent. We also see this same word in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent, there's that word, sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So there's a couple of examples there of how how that word apostle is there in that verb form. Now in this doctrine of the apostleship of Christ, we see the great love and cooperation between God the Father and God the Son. God the Father in loving authority sends his only begotten Son who in loving cooperation obeys the Father perfectly in everything that is required. God the Son sacrifices himself in obeying the Father so that the Father's loving will can be accomplished. And there's no pride there, is there? Uh, The Father does not send his Son from a sense of power, but with love. (coughs) And the son does not balk at obeying the father because he loves the father. And here in the first eternal relationship between God the Father and God the Son, we see the blueprint for all relationships. Uh, There's that authority structure as God commissions and sends the son as an apostle. And, uh, And the obedience of the son to the father. 
So in, in our everyday human interactions, uh, we should ideally see the same dynamic being played out. In the family, we see this in the husband and wife, as well as the parents and the children. There is love and authority mixed with sacrifice and humility. The husband should sacrifice himself lovingly for his wife, shouldn't he? That's what we're commanded to do as husbands. Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We know that command. So the husband sacrifices himself lovingly for his wife and she submits to his leadership. There is no pride in a loving marriage, but uh, each partner submits to each other in different ways. It should be the same in the family. The, The parents exercise authority over their children but they sacrifice themselves in love for them as well. And children ought to obey their parents because they love them. Not out of just a sense of fear and foreboding because they're going to get in trouble, but out of love because they want to please their parents. They want to make their parents happy. And so they obey them willingly. And really every relationship, if you think about it, is much the same. Um, in, in slightly different ways, you know, whether at church with the leadership and the congregation, uh, at work as employers and employees, managers and workers, you know, when these relationships uh, work harmoniously, it is because one or both parties understand this and serve each other. Okay, there's this mutual service that we have toward each other. No, I'm, not, I'm not saying that this always works this way. Uh, or that this happens easily all the time. It doesn't. But ideally, as Christians, this is the way we should approach these kind of relationships. Because that's how God works. God the Father sent the Son. The Son obeys. It was harmonious. And really, this is a practical application of theology, if, if I ever saw one. And something for us to think about in our relationships Uh, whether it be uh, in the church, at home, at work, wherever we are. And so we come to the second point. The Lord Jesus is faithful. When we come to verse 2, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ is described as being faithful to him that appointed him. As we saw earlier, God the Father was the one who sent Jesus to earth. And this is the same concept described here. God the Father appointed Jesus. The word appointed means to commission to a task. And this uh, was an act that was done in the eternal state before the creation of the universe. Just as the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God and the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, so too his other officers were appointed to him eternally before time began uh, of the Apostle and High Priest. Then these officers were gradually revealed to us, some in the Old Testament in types and shadows of the reality, and others at his incarnation when he was born in Bethlehem and lived on the earth. In the previous chapter of Hebrews, in chapter 2, we see Jesus described as being a faithful and a merciful high priest. In his office as high priest, Jesus is faithful to the people he's ministering to. Uh, Here we see that Jesus is faithful to him that appointed him, that is to God the Father. 
Jesus was fully submitted to the will of the Father. And we see that time and time again in the New Testament, don't we? John chapter 5 and verse 30. I can of mine own self do nothing, the Lord Jesus Christ says. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Uh, John chapter 9 and verse 4. Again, the Lord Jesus Christ saying, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. He says he must do the works of him that sent me. He, he, he obeys God willingly. And that's because Jesus had complete trust in his Father. He is able to, perfect, to be perfectly obedient because he knew that the Father had the best intentions. He trusted God the Father. And Jesus did this even though the way was hard. Uh, he knew that uh, to obey his Father would mean hardship and suffering. And we see this all throughout the New Testament. In, in Hebrews, we'll see this time and time again, that Jesus endured and he suffered through his earthly ministry. In the Gospels, we see his suffering even from the moment he was born. You know, he, he, he's born in this cold Stable, isn't he? Surrounded by animals. Uh, he's not born in a nice, warm hospital where everything's sterile. No, he's born in a. He's born into suffering. He's laid in a manger. He grows up in a working class home, not surrounded by luxury and and all the benefits that come with that. No, his his dad was a carpenter. Joseph was a carpenter. He uh, he, he he learns how to be obedient in his home. Then, once he reaches the age of about 30, he, uh, he lives an itinerant life with rough fishermen. Okay, he, doesn't, he doesn't hang around you know, the most educated people, the, the wealthiest people, people in positions of power. No, he chooses as his disciples fishermen, uh, tax collectors, people like that. He has no home. He says that the, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. He, he's homeless. And then he suffers an agonizing and humiliating death on the cross. Yet do we once hear the Lord Jesus Christ complaining about his suffering? No. He never complains about the situation that he's placed in. He does not demand his rights, but he's focused on his mission. No hardship would deter Jesus from his goal. Because of this, the Lord Jesus Christ is dependable. Uh, that's a result of his faithfulness. Uh, we can depend on Christ because he is always with us. He, he endured all these things for us. And so we can depend on him no matter what happens. He endured the worst suffering and that did not deter him. He was resolute and unwavering in his determination. And so, it's fitting that he is called the rock. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 says, And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Now, now, there's a whole message there, I know, but, but doesn't that speak of his dependability, his faithfulness? 
his endurance. He, he is the rock. So the Lord Jesus Christ was faithful to his calling. And so we come to point number three. We ought to be faithful. The author of Hebrews compares the faithfulness of Christ to the faithfulness of Moses. In doing so, he's aiming for the heart of the readers who saw Moses as the highest example of faith. Moses was the lawgiver and uh, fully given over to God's will. So he's saying this because the, the Hebrew Christians respected Moses, didn't they? The Jewish people looked up to Moses. And, and so the author is making this connection from Jesus to Moses. And what he's doing here, it's, it's very interesting. And, and I believe he's being, he's being very winsome in his approach to this. He's pointing out the faithfulness of Moses because he wants to persuade them of the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a common tactic. You know, by not criticizing the Hebrews' most beloved leader, he's leading them to acknowledge who Christ is. You know, the, the author to the Hebrews could have pointed out that Moses had moments that were not great examples of good leadership. You know, there's, there's times when Moses dropped the ball, he got angry. He did the wrong thing. He disobeyed God. Um, But he doesn't point that out, does he? Um, That would have made the original readers um, defensive, perhaps, and less likely to listen to the truth. But, But rather graciously, he wins them over by pointing out that Moses too was faithful in his house. Now, I think there's a lesson here uh, for when we try to present the gospel to, to other people who are not Christians. It is important to not criticise or belittle the point of view of others as this only makes people defensive and less receptive to the truth. Rather, we should acknowledge the good things that they believe. And look, a lot of people out there, sure, they, they believe things that aren't true, but they also believe things that are true. So rather than focusing on the things that aren't true, focus on the things that are true. And from that, make a, a beeline to the gospel. Okay, use that as a way to slip in the gospel by acknowledging the good things about their beliefs. And usually there are many good things, no matter who you talk to. What that does is it, it takes people off the defensive side. It, it makes them receptive to the truth. And I found that to be a, an effective strategy. However, that's not the main point here. Moses was faithful because he focused on God, just as we ought to be focusing on Christ. The original readers of this epistle were really struggling with a lack of faithfulness to Christ. And that's why this uh, this epistle was written. Uh, The Hebrew believers were wavering in their belief. They were under intense persecution, Um, probably on both sides. They were being persecuted by the Romans uh, for being Jews, and they were persecuted for, by their own Jewish brethren for having converted to Christianity. So they were copying it from both sides. So we, we can understand why they were under this kind of pressure. And so they were struggling to, to, to keep 
going with the Christian faith. What they wanted to do was to, to leave Christ and go back to their Jewish roots. Uh, they, they wanted to revert back to Judaism. Okay, and so the author to the Hebrews writes them this epistle. And look, we all go through these kinds of struggles. It's, it's something that co- that's common to all of us when we are struggling. Uh, we tend to go back to what we know best. For some, it, it's the world and the pleasures of sin that attracts them. You know, vices that they were involved in. Uh, you know, relationships and, and the, the, the kind of living that they used to be in that attracts them. Uh, for others, uh, what attracts them is a dead ritualism, this uh, veneer of morality. They want to be thought of as being good by other people, but there's a deadness inside. Uh, That's what they will go back to when they're struggling. But the author to the Hebrews says, no, you need to consider Christ. You need to to focus intensely on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we see throughout this epistle. Uh, Of course, chapter 12, uh, we we see probably the highest point in the epistle where he says, uh, you know, run the race with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But what we see here is, is the, uh, the exhortation to be faithful. Because Jesus is faithful. And so we ought to be as well. Uh, one of the major themes in Hebrews is the perseverance that ought to characterise our Christian life. Uh, we know that we're not sinless, uh, that we're not called to be perfect in that way. But we are encouraged to persevere. Just as Jesus was faithful in his obedience to God, we ought to obey God as well. Just as Jesus endured suffering and temptation without complaining, we are to endure it as well. And we see the, the same thing in the, in, in the Bible as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, if you want to turn in your Bibles there, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It's got this very strong exhortation to us to be faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1 says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Brethren, we're all stewards of the mysteries of God. We all have the gospel we have this, this treasure in earthen vessels, don't we? And what's required of us as stewards of the mysteries of God is to be faithful, to keep persevering, just as the Lord Jesus Christ persevered. Those same characteristics of the faithfulness of Christ are to be found in his servants as well. We are expected to model the same dependability, the same endurance, and the same obedience that Jesus exemplified. Even when we fail, and you know, we will at some point, uh, we, we make mistakes, uh, we sin, uh, we fall into sin, we, we, we just fall out of fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That happens from time to time. Okay, we, we can acknowledge that. We are to persevere even through that those failures. We are to get up again and keep going. That's what perseverance means. It doesn't mean that we're expected to be perfect, to never sin. No, but but, but when we fall down, God expects us to get up again and to keep going. 
Sometimes we think that we are of no use in the church, you know, to, to, to God in general. Uh, sometimes we think that uh, we're not as gifted or as talented as other people. But brethren, it's better to be faithful than to be gifted. A large church full of gifted but unfaithful Christians will not impact the world as much as a small group of faithful and dependable servants of Christ. I mean, that's what was happening in the, in the Corinthian church. You had this, this group of people that thought of themselves as being gifted. They had all these gifts, but they weren't dependable. They weren't faithful to God, and so they were failing in that sense. God needs people who are faithful. Uh, we, we may not have all those, all those gifts and talents, but at least we can show up to church. At least we can keep praying for our brethren. At least we can do those little things. Now, there are people that set up the church every week. That's not a great gift, is it, to, to put out chairs? But it requires faithfulness. It requires dependability. And so we need to ask ourselves... Am I faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ? Perhaps someone here is struggling with this. Perhaps we're, we're struggling with being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the solution is found here in Hebrews chapter 3. He's saying all this because we need to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to consider, intensely exercise our mind upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we become those faithful servants of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray.